Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. So grateful that uh, because of what Christ has done, that my sins are forgiven and that my future is heaven. May we always praise Him for what He has done. Let's pray uh, together this morning. Father, we are, God, we are in awe of your love and your mercy. God, we know that we are undeserving. But God, you abound in love and mercy. And Father, we are so thankful. God, we pray, Lord, as we uh, open your word today, God, as we, Lord, just reflect on the life that you have given us in Christ, Lord, that you might do a work in us that would change us from the inside out, God, that you might speak to our hearts, God, that you might cause us, Lord, to to live life abundantly in you. Lord, we are grateful for your mercy, your grace, for your kindness, and Lord, we pray that it would be your kindness that would lead us to repentance today from the from the way that we so many times can be distracted uh, in the midst of the things of this world. And God, that we might fix our eyes and our hope on you. Lord, we love you. We pray if there's someone here that has never experienced life in Christ, uh, that today, Lord, you would, in the power of your spirit, draw them, God, that you would convict of sin. Uh, Lord, that you would, uh, God, speak to our hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. So grateful uh, for all of you. Uh, This morning we're uh, kicking off a new sermon series uh, starting today and really excited just for the the coming weeks, really excited for uh, just the time that we will uh, just be uh, looking at what it really looks like to live uh, an abundant life. We're we're grateful uh, for the Word of God. We're grateful for His a Holy Spirit that guides us, and we uh, are, are thankful to be able to gather as His church. Uh, this morning, if you're a guest with us, we're so grateful that you have uh, come to worship with us. You'll find some, uh, some welcome cards in the back of uh, seats near, in front of you, around you. Uh, we'd love for you to fill out one of those cards and just let us uh, know of your time with us. We'd love to connect with you when you are ready and give you a free gift as you leave if you turn that in. Uh, just to one of our greeters, and, uh, and as you're ready, just to connect in, in our email list and other ways that we uh, connect along the way. And so again, thank you so much for, uh, for being here. Uh, I read the story uh, of an artist, and uh, this young artist, he, it was many years ago, he, he had sculpted an angel, and just the incredible detail that he had put into it, the, the amount of time that he had put into it, and there was this moment where he wanted an opinion that really mattered. And he sought out Michelangelo. And the the story goes that uh, Michelangelo came in and that he began to study and look at this uh, just incredible sculpture, that he would look uh, at every angle and that he would take time just to see uh, all of the details and all of the things that were there. And and the the artist was was waiting to hear his response. And finally, uh, Michelangelo just said this one thing. He said, it only lacks one thing. And then he left, and this young artist was left kind of stirring in his mind, and he would look 
at this sculpture. He would look and he would try to figure out uh, those things. And he was kind of embarrassed himself to go and ask Michelangelo. And so he sent one of his friends to, to his studio to ask him, what is it that uh, was missing? What is it that should be, uh, should be done? And Michelangelo finally revealed what he had seen. And he simply said this, it lacks only life. And you know, as I think about our culture and as I think about uh, this world that we live in, as I think about the life of even those many times that profess to follow Christ, right? We look around and there's so many people, so many uh, people that really have everything that the world might would say is necessary to enjoy life. They might have the house, they might have a specific car, they might have uh, a wife, right? They might have the husband, they might have all of these things. They might have a, a job that pays well, they might have a bank account that has a certain amount of money. And what we see even in the lives of many uh, that we look at and by the world standards, these celebrities, they have everything that you could ever imagine. They have supermodel wives and they have money that is in abundance. They have all of these things. But when we look at their lives, we find that many times they are miserable. Many times they're suffering from depression and, and, and the sense of something being missing in their lives. And simply, when you look at their, the way that all the things, all the accumulation that's there, you would look at them like that sculpture and you would recognize that they only lack life. And then there are those people that we encounter. And many times it's those people that we may encounter when we go on a short-term mission trip. It's those people that we might, uh, that our team recently coming back from Honduras, that they encountered there. It's people that uh, maybe our, our teams in the past that have been in Burkina Faso, that they have been in these places where the people there, where it seems that they have so very little. You know, you look, at their, you look at their homes and the places that they live, and we look at those and compare those to what God has blessed us with. When we read the scriptures, where scripture talks about those who are rich in this present world, and we recognize, really, when we look at the world, that when those scriptures are written, that they are, they are really talking about us. And we, we look at those people, and while we come back to our homes and we see the abundance of, of wealth and the abundance of things that God uh, has provided to us, many times we look, and there's a little something in our lives where we look at them, and what we see in them is life. What we see in them is something that many times is missing from the life of even those of us who profess to follow Jesus Christ. We see this abundance of life, and, and what we see is that what they have is enough. What we see from their lives is that Jesus really is everything, that He is enough. And that while we try to pursue all of these things in this world and while we try to find satisfaction in life from an abundance of things, from an abundance of so many things we could fill in that blank, what we see in their lives is that life, abundant life, 
that it comes from Christ. And you know, we are going to lean in over these next few weeks. And if you're a guest with us convictionally, uh, my heart is to preach verse by verse through the scriptures. And last year we took a kind of a, a journey that was a, a little bit of a, a change for me, right? And we, we walked through the great big storyline of scripture and we looked at Jesus throughout the entire scripture. And as my heart has stirred toward this year, we're excited to, uh, to, to look ahead and to lean in uh, verse by verse through the book of Philippians as we look at this abounding joy that we have in Christ, as we look at uh, just all God is doing and all that he has done. And as we start this year, my heart has continued to stir to this word abundant, to this thought of this abundant life that we see in Christ, that this, this reality of this life that as a Jesus follower we can experience, and my heart has not been able to get away from the words that we read in John chapter 10. And so I want to invite you uh, to open your copy of God's Word to John <coughs> chapter 10. Uh, if you have the Cowie Church app, you can follow along uh, with some fill-in-the-blanks and some sermon notes there uh, as well. And as I, we think about John chapter 10, I want us to recognize the contrast as we read just a couple of verses. This contrast between the life that Jesus has come that we might have, this life eternal and this life abundant, and this reality of the way the enemy is trying to keep us from enjoying and experiencing life in Christ. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 10, we're going to read just two verses there. The scripture says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, what a contrast it is between the life that we can experience in Christ and the way the enemy wants to destroy those things. We hear a lot of times people will say, Jesus has great plans for your life. We say that often, right? Jesus has great plans for your life. My, my, maybe my favorite verse in all the scripture, uh, a verse that God used in an incredible way in my life is Ephesians 2.10. And there was this just truth that we see in that passage that we are, and by the way, if you are in Christ, I want to remind you today that we are his workmanship. When we think about that sculpture of that angel, that priceless art and the work that was going on there and that the treasure that we read about or that we talked about at the beginning today, the scripture would tell us that we are his masterpiece, that we are his poeme in the Greek, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ Jesus, this is who you are. And I want to remind you today that sometimes the enemy wants to remind us who we were and, and all of the things in our past. But if we are in Christ, this is who we are. And the Bible would tell us that, that he has created us. In Ephesians 2, he would say that he has created us for good works that he has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And if you're in Christ, I want to remind you that God has incredible plans for 
your life. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We sung today about what Jesus has done, what he has done, and the finished work of the cross has given us life. It's given us eternal life, and he's given us his life now that we could live abundantly. Now, we know as we think about all this, as we think about those people that have very little, that have so much when it comes to the way that they live, we, we recognize that it can't be from an abundance of things, that it can't be from possessions, that it can't be in, those, in the place that we are in in the world even. It can't be in those things. It has to be in something else. And what we would see is that it's in our relationship with Christ. And it's in the way that we live our life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to, I as we introduce this concept and this thought, I want to tell you that the abundant life is found in following Jesus. We read in the scripture that God is working to conform us unto the image of his son, that he is working to shape us and mold us in this, this workmanship. And, and that what's true of us positionally as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are made right with God. Second Corinthians 5.21 would tell us that, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what's true of us positionally, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is working to make that true of us practically as he conforms us to the image of his son. And as he does that, as we live like Jesus, as we look at the way that Jesus lived, we find that that is the way that we experience abundant life. As we live and as we follow Jesus. So what, is, what did Jesus' life look like? What does our life as a disciple of Jesus look like? A couple years ago, it was uh, the end of 2019. And as a staff, we were trying to lean in and, and, and put our mind around uh, where God was leading us. And we had, had been in a time of prayer and we'd been just engaging in uh, so many different pieces and trying to figure out a way to communicate what's true in the scripture, what it looks like to follow Christ. And uh, was introduced to <coughs> some words from Vance Pittman. And Vance uh, is the president of the Sin Network, which is when we give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and we give uh, to this North American uh, mission board and the things that are going there. Uh, the Sin Network is a, a piece of that. Uh, the Sin Network is really the largest church planning uh, network in North America. And uh, as we were exposed to some words and, 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 a, and a, a truth that uh, Vance and his team had really come across, it resonated with our hearts in just an incredible way. It was just a very simple and it was a very profound truth. And, and as we engaged a bit uh, with a guy named Scott Worthington that was connected to his team and and just leaning into that, they were gracious enough to uh, help to equip us in words and language that we might communicate uh, what it would look like to live the life of a Jesus follower and uh, to, to, to really effectively communicate what it looks like to live an abundant life in Christ. And we thought, hey, you know what? We've got this 2020 uh, kind of vision and we're going to launch and introduce and do all of these things. And all of a sudden COVID hit and we realized just how short our vision really uh, is sometimes, right? But uh, but those truths have continued to resonate in our heart. And I want to read you 
really the truth and the quote that stirred in our hearts so much. And uh, Pittman shared this. Uh, he said, after a full year of intense prayer and study, we made a discovery that still strikes me as so amazing and yet so wonderfully simple. We realized that Jesus' life revolved around three specific relationships. And we also concluded that if we were going to allow his life to be lived in and through us, that our lives would need to be built around the same three relationships. And so what we're going uh, to see... This is... Yeah, let me see here. Richard, let me borrow you just a second. Will you come up here and help me for just a second? I want you just to stand up uh, here, and we'll start here, and then we'll start. This is, it. This is adjustable. Just, yep, there we go. Just like that. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. And so when he uh, began to, to just describe these relationships here, here's this perspective. Here's this principle. And you'll see these, uh, these signs will, will be on the screen. But if you were to take the Gospels, and what uh, Pittman shared is that as you read the Gospels, that if you were to take and to take every story that we would read in the four Gospels of the life of Jesus, and we were to take those stories and we were to, to, to type them out and we were to separate them out on a piece of paper, that all of those stories... And what they recognized was that all of those stories would fit in one of these three boxes. And so when we read uh, the scripture, we see that the, the first box here is Jesus' relationship with his father. And as we read the gospels, we see at Jesus' baptism, right? We uh, hear the, the voice of the Lord, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well Pleased. We would find as Jesus lived his life on earth that he lived it out of an overflow and out of a, an intimate relationship with the Father. And as, as, as Jesus would minister, and we would see some characteristics of Jesus' life that were so much different than what we see in ours, right? Jesus, when we read the, the, the Gospel of Mark, we would read this, this urgency, right, that, that Jesus immediately, and we would read the word immediately over and over in the way that he would engage. But when we read about the life of Jesus, there was never this hurry. There was never this, uh, uh, this sense of, of busyness and stress. And what we would find is that Jesus often would uh, remove himself from the crowds and that he would get alone with the Father, that he would rise up early. He would rise up before the rest of his disciples and really before the rest of the world, and that he would find himself praying and seeking the will of his Father. And we would find him walking in obedience to that will. We would see Jesus' relationship with the Father. We would see it all throughout. The second box, and, and as we would uh, be able to categorize these things, we would see Jesus' relationship with his disciples. We would see all of these moments, right? And we would see the way that Jesus would, would call his disciples. He would call them to leave the life that they once knew. He would call them, he, he would say things like this. Uh, we read in Matthew 4, he would say, follow me. And he said, when you do, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to transform your life. There's going to be something incredible that'll happen. He says, follow me. You used to be a fisherman, right? But he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We, we would see him and we would read about it in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where Jesus would, would get on this, this, this hillside, right? And, and his disciples would sit at his feet. 
And he would begin to teach them the upside down ways of the kingdom of heaven. We would see him interact with the 12. We would see places in the scripture where he would say that he would call them and that he would, would allow them to, that he would call them so that they could be with him, that they would do life with Jesus and, and that he would teach them and he would train them. And we would see that inner circle of those disciples that he would even engage in greater intimacy and details. And we would see these, these connections that are there. And then we would see Jesus' relationship with the world. There's people that he would encounter that didn't know anything about Jesus at all. There were those people that were hurting and those people that were broken. And the interruptions that would happen in Jesus' life, right, they were not uh, things that would, would cause him to go all over the place, but they were divine appointments, right, that he would engage in and that he would minister in, right? We would see him encounter, and he would go out of his way to encounter a woman at the well, and he would tell her about the water that he would give, right, that would never run dry. And so we would see these three relationships, and everything in the stories of Jesus would fit there and we would recognize that as followers of Jesus Christ, and what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is we're going to see what it looks like to live in these three relationships and the intentionality of these relationships. And what I believe we see is that there are, there are many times that as followers of Jesus Christ, we simply don't invest in these three relationships. We're not intentional in these three areas. And, and we believe that intentionality in these three ways will change everything. And I want to uh, just direct your attention to the screen. There's going to be a video here in just a moment that will kind of talk about what I've said uh, and maybe communicate that more clearly. Thank you, Richard. <coughs> to live the life of a Jesus follower. But what does a Jesus follower look like? To answer that question, we need to know what the life of Jesus looks like. Because following Jesus is not me living for Jesus. It's Jesus living his life in and through me. As we study Jesus in the New Testament, we find that his life was all about relationships. First, his relationship with the Father. Second, his relationship with his disciples. And third, his relationship with the people who didn't know God at all. So what does the life of a Jesus follower look like? Answer, relationships. At Cowie, we use three key statements to describe these relationships. First, love God. A Jesus follower spends time with God daily. Second, love people. A Jesus follower gathers with other believers in worship and in small groups. Third, love in action. A Jesus follower puts love in action on mission, both locally and globally. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. So how do you deepen these three relationships and grow as a follower of Jesus? Answer, the same way you deepen any relationship. It's time. How do you invest your time as a Jesus follower to deepen your relationship with God, your relationship with other believers, and your relationship with the world? We believe there are four strategic ways that you and I can choose to invest our time that grows all three of these relationships. God time. Time spent daily alone in fellowship with God. Gather time. Time spent weekly gathering in worship with my church. Group time. Time spent consistently in community with a small group from my church. Go time. Time spent annually going on mission.
As you invest your time in these ways, we believe you will deepen your walk with God, grow in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and engage in God's global mission in greater ways. So you may be asking, where do I start? Well, you start small. It's been said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So we want to introduce you to your first step. We're calling it the 5% life. 1% of your day, approximately 15 minutes, and God time daily. 1% of your week, approximately an hour and a half, and gather time weekly. 1% of your month, approximately seven hours, and group time consistently. And 2% of your year, approximately seven days, and go time annually. We are convinced that if you embrace the 5% life as a starting point, the other 95% of your life will be changed forever as you love God, love people, and put love in action. You know, it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, you know, and I, I believe that if we start with a commitment like this, that truly the rest of our lives will be changed. This is not the finish line, but it's an incredible starting point. And we believe that if we engage here, if we'll begin here, that we can begin to experience the abundant life that, that, is, that is found in living out of an overflow of relationship with the Father that, that, that puts perspective in these relationships. And my hope is that uh, as we walk through this, uh, this series together, as we look at these things, that we will commit uh, to living life as a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's the truth, and, and many of us would admit this and see this, we struggle in so many ways when it comes to investing in these three relationships. We struggle when it comes to intentionality, when it comes to our relationship with the world. We struggle uh, when it comes to the discipline that it takes to spend time daily alone with the Father. We find that our life, uh, instead of being disciplined, that it is distracted. We find that instead of being uh, walking in, in these kind of relationships with intentionality, we are tossed by all the things that are coming at us. We are so engaged by the world, right? And we have good intentions. When we read John 10, we see this beautiful picture, right, of the good shepherd, but I want to tell you, when we read John 10, there's some, there's some language in there that, that really isn't that becoming of us, right? It talks about a sheep and the shepherd. And what we know about sheep is that when God compares us to sheep, it's not really a compliment, right? This isn't an animal that, that we look at, right? We, we're distracted easy. We follow the crowd, right? You'll see all kinds of similarities. You know, they tell me that if, if, if a sheep has too much food in front of them, that they will just literally eat until they die. Like, I almost did that at an all-you-can-eat buffet a couple years back, right? We, like, I've changed my ways, right? But here, listen, we, we see those kind of things in our life. A, a sheep, uh, from what I understand, they, they don't even really have a reverse button, right? Like, if they get in a mess and they scare easy, like, it doesn't take much. Like, like I, a rabbit probably scares sheep, right? Like, oh, he jumped, ah, and, and they run, right? And, and what I understand is that they will run and they will get themselves in a corner and they'll just keep on going, right? They ain't got no reverse button. They don't even know where they're, this is the, the life, right, of a sheep. And then they're so fearful, right? They're fearful and they are fragile, right? They're vulnerable, they're very vulnerable. They're easily, they're easy prey and they're easily destroyed. Like there's no animal scared of a sheep. 
Right now, back. Like it's not happening. There's nobody. <laughs> Nothing. Right? And then this is what we see. And we understand, right, that the scripture would tell us that we have an enemy. The Bible would tell us that our adversary, the devil, that he roams about, that he is looking. And this picture of him roaming about, he is looking and he is roaming about. And the scripture would tell us that he is seeking whom he may devour. And the the enemy is smart, right? He looks for those that are in isolation. He looks for those that have wondered. He looks for those uh, that are vulnerable. He looks in those kind of ways, right? These are the things that we see. And so what we see in John 10 is that we need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. They need the protection of the shepherd. They need the guidance of the shepherd, that we need those things because we are reminded You know, as we read of the life that Jesus has come to give us, we read of the plans of the enemy. And in John 10, verse 10, we would see that the thief only, and I want you to see this, there is one plan that the enemy has for your life. There is only one plan, and that is that he might steal, kill, and destroy. He has only one. One plan. And a lot of times we think about the way the enemy attacks. We think about uh, this, this reality that he is out to destroy and that he is out to kill. And, and one of the things we'll look at as we walk through this series, one of the primary ways I believe Satan works is through this world system, right? We, we recognize that the world that is around us, right, that there's so much that is, is, is made and set up to distract and, and, and to fulfill really the desires of our flesh and the nature that we have and that that the world might entice us in a way that we might try to seek satisfaction from the things of this world, right? That our enemy is at work. I believe it was Adrian Rogers that first said, if the devil can't make you bad, then he'll make you busy. And we live in a world where instead of abundant rest, we experience abundant stress, right? We live in a world where we're designed to have these abundant relationships in our marriages and in the lives of other believers. We're we're designed to have these relationships that are abundant, right? Filled with abundant life. But what we see so many times is abundant strife. We see all of these problems, all of these things. And as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, he he said this, he said, "I I am afraid He said that that as the serpent deceived Eve, he said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds would be led astray. He said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived, that you that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. And I'm convinced that in the midst of this world that Satan is working in such a way that we, uh, we are so busy and we are so distracted and we are so 
uh, hard for us to focus. And so, uh, so all over the place, right, that we are being led astray from, you know, uh, churches so many times are looking for like, we need this new program and we need this new way and we need this new method, right? What we need is the purity and simplicity of living our lives devoted to Christ, surrender to him, recognizing that in the midst of a world that promises satisfaction in all these things, that Jesus is enough, that he is enough. Jim Elliott, who was an incredible missionary who sacrificed his life in order to reach unreached peoples, he summarized it this way. He said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowd. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. Satan is quite aware of what happens when a church leans back into the purity and simplicity of living their life out of an overflow of relationship with Jesus Christ. And we, we live in a world where we're so used to the noise, we're so used to all the things that silence is something that we almost never experience. Lives of distraction instead of lives of discipline. And what I hope that we can take away today, and I'm so excited to lean into these three relationships in the coming weeks, but I hope that we can take away today that Jesus is enough. (coughs) Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He said the good shepherd, he lays his life down for the sheep. The scripture gives us incredible pictures of the great shepherd. That he would lead us beside the still waters. The the great shepherd that would go after the one who has strayed. And maybe you are one of those this morning that has strayed. In the power of the spirit of God, he is coming after you this morning and saying, come home to the simplicity and purity of relationship with me. We read of the shepherd that is protecting and guiding, making sure that the sheep have what they need. I love the way we read in Psalm 23, right? As the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And in one way of just really expressing what that verse says. He says, with God as my shepherd, I have everything that I need. See, life in Christ is found contentment and satisfaction and not in the things that the world says would provide us contentment. Because here's the truth. If we're not satisfied with what we have, what we get will never bring us satisfaction either. We know that our shepherd, that he is leading us. And so we, as sheep, we follow the good shepherd wherever he may lead because we know that his plans for us are good. We read that we have a shepherd 
that is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And while we recognize that all of those moments that they may not feel good, that we will experience suffering, that if we're following Jesus, that those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will experience persecution, we know that we have a good shepherd who is working all things eternally for our good, that is working and allowing all of the circumstances our life, in our lives to shape us and to mold us and to conform us to the image of Christ. And so we trust him. He is enough. We go wherever he may lead us. Jesus is our good shepherd. And he is more than enough. In verse 9 of John chapter 10, he said, I am the door. And if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. He is the door. In him we find protection and security. As he leads us, as he guides us, we, we experience in Christ eternal life. And we experience abundant life now. We live the life of a Jesus follower. And I wonder in how many lives and in how many families, how many people do we have so many things? But maybe we lack the one thing. Life. Abundant life that's found in the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. As Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, I am afraid that the serpent, just as he deceived Eve, may be deceiving many of us away from that life. Maybe we find ourselves there this morning. Maybe this is where we are and and. What we recognize is that eternal life is found only in Jesus. Jesus, though, is not simply the beginning. He is everything in our lives. It is in him that we find life abundantly. It is in him that we find satisfaction. And he offers us life. Maybe you're here this morning and You've never trusted Jesus for salvation. The scriptures would read in Ephesians 2, and we sung, really we sung about these verses this morning. And in verse 3, we would recognize that we all too formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, that we were engaging and indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And the scripture would tell us that by nature we were children of wrath, even as the rest. This is who we are apart from Christ. This is who we were before Christ. In verse four, we would read that, but God who was rich in mercy. I'm so thankful for his mercy this morning. I'm so thankful for his love this morning. Scripture says, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. See, without Christ, apart from Christ, we are dead, separated from God. But he said, even when we were dead in our transgression, that he made us alive together with Christ. And that it is by grace that we are saved. I am so thankful for his mercy and his grace, for his love. And what do we do 
with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We respond in surrender. And we recognize that even though this world is promising all of these things, promising life found in the satisfaction of all these things, that Jesus came, that we might have life eternal, that we might have it abundant, and we respond in surrender. We respond saying, Jesus, my life is yours. We recognize that it is him who became sin. He who knew no sin, Jesus, took on all of our sin and all of our shame. He who knew no sin became sin in my place on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. It's been referred to as the great exchange, our mess for his righteousness. That we are given life, the life of Christ that then is lived in and through us, abundant life. This morning, if you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you've never responded to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to what he has done on the cross, we look to the cross and we recognize that Jesus died in my place and it counted for me. And our response is surrender to repent of our sins, to turn from our ways and seeking our own way of life and to respond in surrender to Jesus. My life is yours. Maybe you're here and you're trying to hold on to the things of this world. Eternal life is found in Christ. Abundant life is found in Christ. You know, I wonder, I'm going to invite the band to come and we're going to respond. Just have a time of response to God's gracious gift for us. But I wonder, how would our lives be described? Would our relationship with Jesus be described by purity and simplicity? Father, I'm thankful, God, for the good shepherd that you sent into the midst of this broken world. Lord, that Jesus would step out from the glories of heaven and take on flesh and dwell among us. That he would live a life without sin and that he would obediently lay down his life for Sheep like me. Lord, your mercy and your grace is abundant. And God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has never experienced life in Christ, that this morning would be a morning of surrender. God, that your spirit would draw them. God, that you would Convict our hearts, Lord, of the foolish ways that we've been trying to find satisfaction. Lord, that you would convict us of our sin. And God, that in repentance and surrender, we might respond.
to the good news of the gospel. That Jesus came, that he lived a sinless life and died in our place on a cross, was placed in a, in a bar of tomb, and on the third day he rose to life. And that he offers us life in him. Lord, we pray you have your will and your way in every life in this room. Lord, we love you. We thank you for, God, your love for us. Undeserving, unmerited. Lord, we are great, grateful for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. As you stand this morning.